Let me start by saying I believe mothers should be respected, loved, honored, cherished. Most certainly, they should be protected. Webster tells us that a mother is a female parent, one who gives birth. But for those of us with a good mom, we know of her even greater worth. She was the one who was always there, knowing just the right time to say yes. Though hated then, we see now, that even her no's were meant for our best. In times of hurt, her words captivated our hearts, working what some would call her mommy magic. We see now that it was just grace and love as she helped us through times so tragic. But before we get swept away in a world of fairy tales and myths, we give pause, realizing that Mother's Day for all is not a day of joy and bliss. For some people, the thought of Mother's Day causes them to mourn, for this day is one of great pain and suffering, a day where their heart is torn. Divorced, abused, abandoned, words that have left many moms feeling alone, as they never settle into their role, trying instead to protect the children in their home. And what about the pain endured by those who could never have a baby, leading them to believe that God's love is, at best, a maybe. For all you young ladies who long for the great treasure of a new birth, may I speak life into your heart. It is your heart, not your womb, that is the measure of your true worth. The emptiness you feel right now, because there is no life within your womb, can only be filled by the gospel, not a child, a job, or even a faithful loving groom. And others of you may be struggling from the fact that you bought the world's distortion, the pain you feel today is rooted in yesterday's abortion. Before we go any further, allow me to speak life where death may reign. Jesus' blood is sufficient to cleanse even the darkest sin's stain and to heal the deepest soul's pain. Draw from your past, but don't live there, for to do so will turn your heart to stone. But look to the love of Jesus, a love that on an old rugged cross for the world was shown. On that cross, Jesus commissioned his earthly mom with a very exciting task, one that would change her world and another's. What was it, you ask? Behold your son, Mary, he spoke, concerning the disciple for whom he had a special love, an adoption at a funeral, something so beautiful it could have only been written from above. For all the moms who gained the status, not in a hospital, but rather in a court of law, we praise God that through adoption, you too answered the motherhood call. And finally, for those whose moms are no longer on this earth sod, we pray that today will find you cherishing the moments and the mothers given to you by God. Moms, we stand in your honor today. We thank you for all that you have done. May you continue to mom well until you can no longer see the sun. S-U-N, you know, the ball of fire that hangs in the sky. May the S-O-N reignite your passion. May you pass it on before you die. May all the hurts and the joys and the pains of your story simply not just be wasted. But may they from your memory be cut and on your children's hearts be pasted. Happy Mother's Day, moms. We truly value all your tendencies and yes, even your little quirks. But most of all, we thank you for modeling for us the truth that love truly works.
uh, I'm excited that you guys are here. Thank you so much. I want to, um, I just, I just want to recognize the, uh, the thickness, the thickness in the room right now. Uh, we debated closing with the video we just showed. We thought that uh, for a lot of people, it would be hard for them to, to kind of pull out of that. And then we realized that maybe f- instead it was better for us to start with what's authentic. The reality is that everyone in this room has a different perspective and a different concept of what it means to be a mother or to have a mother. And today, we're going to dive right into that. Today, we're just going to go waist deep in to both the beauty and the brokenness of this concept, and we're going to sit in what I believe is something really beautiful that God wants to teach us. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we are going to get started And uh, I think it's going to be a beautiful day. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for every person in this room that's willing to walk this path, that's willing to ask these questions. May it bless their life. May it allow them to see things from a different perspective, from from a more true and honest perspective designed by you. May we, Lord, be willing to look at the difficult and look at the beautiful and lean into what is God. Thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to talk about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, There's a Spanish proverb I want to start off with, and it says this, an ounce of mother is worth a ton of priest. And uh, for those of you in the room who, who had a solid mom, a mom who was consistent, a mom who is consistent, you can relate so very well to this concept because no matter how much time you get with a guy like me on stage or even in a good book or an article you read or even maybe even in a small group or over a cup of coffee, the, the power of the influence of a mom versus a pastor or a priest are just incomparable. A true mom doing what a true mom should do is one of the most, if not the most, important factor in uh, the creation of a solid human uh, society that we know to date. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said this, how can it be an important career to tell other people's children about mathematics and a small career to tell one's own children about the universe? We take our children, and for the majority of us, we put them in a home with a woman who has to answer every single question that a human mind could possibly come up to ask for their entire uh, development until we deem them worthy to go out into the world and ask and answer their own questions. We in this society have found that women do this better in general than anyone else. That a mom with her child answering and asking and, and, and spending time with is apparently the clearest example of what it means to be in God's loving embrace, raised by him and in community with him. And that today is what we're going to d- dive into. Now, I say all that because that's only for those of us who had solid moms. For those of us who didn't have solid moms, this is an entirely different concept and phrase. For those of us who didn't have solid moms, when you hear the idea of, uh, of uh, this, this kind of development of spending time with a mom who's going to pour into your life, you immediately are turned off. And frankly, uh, this particular Mother's Day, more than probably any other, there has been a thickness in the room across this topic, I think because of the video and I think because we just dove right into it, that people are like, hey, look, you don't really understand what I dealt with growing up. You don't really know what my mom was like. You don't understand. Then there's a group of people, and you don't have a mom. You either 
never had a mom uh, because you were abandoned very young, or maybe this is your first Mother's Day without a mom, and so this entire topic is incredibly too sensitive. Then there's those of you in the room that don't want to be moms. Nobody ever actually says it, but it's real. It was an accident. It shouldn't have happened in your mind, and you just figure, look, I never wanted this. I feel guilty about it, but the reality is here I am now. Then there's those of you in the room who uh, you, under the best of circumstances, you probably feel like maybe you aren't the best mom, that you don't really put in time where you're supposed to put in time, and this world has wore you down and convinced you that you are powerless and that you are worthless and that you are not important. Now, what did I just do? I started off our sermon with an incredible, just so encouraging, right? It was so lovely and encouraging. But here's what's important. Now we're all on the same page. And it is ugly, and it is real, and it is honest. But I'm here to tell you, we serve a God who designed you for something more than you're experiencing now. And if you're willing to be honest in that spot that I just brought you very quickly, then I believe that God will reveal something incredible about himself to you and so change how you connect with this entire idea of motherhood, no matter how its footprint has been left in your life, whether it's a treasure or it's tragic. See, this entire concept of motherhood was designed by God. The whole thing. It wasn't an accident. When God created a man and a woman, he created a him and he created a her and he put, a, he put fathering in one and he put mothering in the other and we always, always, always seem to forget because we refer to God as a father and as a him that as much of God that's in the him is also in the her and we forget that there is an entire mothering aspect of God's love that we never address. No wonder you walk around feeling all these things about motherhood because you come to church and you hear a guy talk about the father and the father and the great father and the great father. And then when we get to moms, we do it one time a day and it's usually chocolates and candies and other nice things. Or it's let's not talk about it because you know what I think about motherhood. Or it's I never wanted to be a mom in the first place. Or it's I'm the best mom in the world and I don't know why the rest of these moms are so terrible. <laughs> I don't get it. It just comes natural to me. Oftentimes, moms that it comes natural to have moms that came natural to who have moms that came natural to who have moms that came natural to because mothers and the abilities of mothers is very much so passed on. It's a very important concept and idea. But what we often forget is that God designed us and built us to do this. A while back, I Googled God's motherly love and Google asked, did you mean God's fatherly love? <laughs> True story. True story. Like, well, I don't know what you're talking about there. God's motherly love. Well, I'm going to teach you today about God's motherly love because I think if you can get true perspective on this, it can change every one of those other true and honest and real places that we talked about right at the beginning. It's all lies within this one small verse of Isaiah. Isaiah 66 verses 12 through 14 give you a full and complete template for how God wants you to see himself when it comes to his mothering aspect. Start in verse 12. It says this. For thus says the Lord... Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, and you shall be carried upon her hip, and bounced upon her knees, as one whom his mother comforts. So I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see, and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass, and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants, and he shall show his indignation against his 
enemies. This is a description of God and how he wants his children of Israel to understand how he loves. And so he uses this word comfort three times, specifically in verse 13. He says, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. And just before that, it describes what that comfort might look like. That comfort will look like an overflowing stream, like one who nurses, like one who carries upon her hip and one who bounces upon her knee. It's this picture of this nurturing beautiful, uh, uh, just very, very uh, feminine kind of powerful love that God bestows and is going to bestow upon his nation. Right down to the nursing and the carrying and the bouncing and the enjoyment. And he says, God says, and I will be like this to you. Now this word comfort, this is a very important thing for us. This word comfort, this is the only time this specific word is used in this context in all the Old Testament. This word comfort used in this way. The word is rakam. Rakam is the word. It's a more specialized but common Hebrew word that really comes from this concept of compassion. Rakam comes from this concept of compassion. On eight occasions, this word compassion is used in the Old Testament. And on seven of those, it's described as God having compassion on his people. But on the eighth, it's described three times right here in verse 13 as God who will come and comfort to bring compassion to her son, to the ones that she is uh, caring for, to the ones that she is spending time with. The word literally means to love deeply and to show mercy. And the root word of rakam is compassion. And the root word of compassion is womb. Now, you got to let your mind just go, okay? God uses the word compassion all over Scripture. Then suddenly to the Hebrew writers, he uses the word alongside the description of a woman loving her son. God says, listen, I'm trying to have compassion on you. I'm trying to love you. You're not listening. I'm trying to bring life to you. I'm trying to bring creation to you. I'm trying to build a nation out of you. And you aren't listening. So here's the thing. I'm going to have Racham on you like a woman comforts her son. And the nation goes, whoa. Racham means compassion. Racham means womb. And suddenly as a Hebrew reader... You are understanding what so many of us miss today, which is this idea that what God is bringing when he brings his motherly love is the same thing every woman in this room who's pregnant is bringing to her child, and that is everything. See, a woman that walks in this room, and there's a few of them today. There was last service as well. We're a very baby-making church right now. I don't know what's going on, but we got babies coming out of everywhere. It's amazing. And I <laughs> think... It's crazy. I mean, people I didn't even know, I'm like, what? I mean, it's just, I think we have a set of triplets going to be happening soon in our church. That's, yeah, we have, it's happening, people, right, here. And this idea is huge, and I want you to let this soak in. A woman that has a child in her womb, right? Imagine a near full-term woman. She, there is nothing that baby brings to her except sleepless nights and indigestion. Nothing. <laughs> the baby brings nothing else. It just lives in there and takes it just takes nutrients, it takes energy, it takes your sleep, it takes half the time what you plan to do today because that child decided it's going to toss and turn and, and all those other things. And the woman provides everything through the compassion of her womb. She provides nutrients, she provides protection, she provides uh, 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 
sustenance. She provides uh, everything that child needs to live comes from the mother of that child. As she caresses her stomach and holds that child inside of her presence, that child does nothing but develop. And then God says, I'm going to have compassion on you. I'm going to have racham on you. I want to love you like you have never been loved in your life because I am the greatest mother to ever live. I understand what it means to take you into my compassion and sustain you and develop you and love you and forgive you and walk with you and talk with you and comfort you. This is what it is to sit inside God's motherly compassionate love. And it is a love fierce beyond all measure. There is a rare, rare thing to find a mother who has a brand new child who doesn't grab that child with both arms and decide immediately that day, whatever it takes, I'm going to give my life to make sure this life lives. This is how God loves you. And we miss it because we add all this fathering to him instead of all this mothering as well. The Hebrew writers didn't miss it. They didn't miss it. They said God loves you with a racham love with a compassionate love, with a womb-like love. And those guys knew when they wrote it down, yeah, we all had tenacious moms. We had fierce moms. We know exactly what it means to be loved this way. Scripture is beautiful when you slow down and actually study it. And this Mother's Day, may you leave with one thing more than anything else, that God loves you with a fierceness that you cannot possibly imagine. And the only thing you have to do is curl up in his arms and be his child. If you can get that perspective, then everything else that happens in this life regarding mothering, whether it's your mother or you, or you as a mother or you wanting to be a mother or you not wanting to be a mother, everything else will line up if you can first get this perspective that God is the greatest mother, that God loves you with the greatest mothering love, and that that love is fierce, all-encompassing, and provides your everything. Now, what does that fierce love look like? Now, I have a fairly fierce mother. Uh, <laughs> and she goes to our church. Not a lot of you, uh, not everybody realizes that because I call her Bernadine and she calls me Danny just because we don't want to confuse people. And then every once in a while I'll slip up and call her mom. And I've actually had people call me out like I was being disrespectful because she's older than me. Like, oh, now you're just going to call her mom because she's a little older than you. And I'm like, no, she's my mom. That's like... <laughs> Like, no, uh, it, but, but the reality is I have, a, I have a pretty fierce mom, and my mom loves me unconditionally. I can tell you that, and I'm a product of that love. And no matter what I've done to my mom, I'm here to tell you, it just doesn't hardly face her. As a matter of fact, uh, about a month ago, I, was, I, was, I wanted to tease her, and I had found a picture of a person. I had showed it to my whole staff. I was watching a Netflix documentary on the Eagles. And I was bored. I couldn't sleep, all right? So I was watching this Netflix documentary on the Eagles. And one of the guitarists in the Eagles just reminded me a lot of myself if I was to grow up in, like, 1972. Uh, it, I'll put it up on the screen. His name's Don Felder. <laughs> and I was like, that guy looks a lot like me. And so here's another picture of him. And I thought, hmm, 1972, my mom's 50. Right? And I thought, it'd be kind of funny if I sent this to my mom and said, Papa? Question mark, you know, or, just whatever. And so I sent this to my mom, and her response was simply, well, you know I love those eagles. 
That's my mom. Gross. Gross. But. <laughs> I wanted to pick something in scripture that really illustrated the fierceness of God's motherly love. And I, I found something that I think is unique. And I found something that, uh, that I haven't heard taught a lot, but I wanted to teach it to you because I thought that it was important. The context of the story is in 2 Samuel, and it, it re, it's regarding God bringing purpose and healing to his nation as he develops, de develop it, develops it under King David. King David has been on the run from King Saul for many, many years, and finally Saul's family has been killed, most of them except for his extended family that has now been displaced, and David is now the anointed king living out the commands of God. And as he begins to try to bring all these warring factions and all the busyness of life together to try to make a kingdom and a nation that we know as Israel, he's developing all this, suddenly a famine hits. And a famine hits in a society that is so heavily agricultural that, I mean, this is devastating. This is starvation. This is, this is, this is, this is you know, bankruptcy of the worst kind in a culture and nation like this at this time. Three years, no rain comes. And David can't figure out why. He doesn't know what to do. And so he goes before God and he says, what should I do? And God tells him that the problem lies inside the story of the Gibeonites. Now, the Gibeonites were a people that were to be set aside and not attacked under Saul's reign. But Saul, in his righteousness and his own wanting to do whatever he wanted to do, decided he would attack them anyways and minimize them as a threat for the future kingdom of Israel. So he did. He killed many, 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 many of their sons, these people called the Gibeonites. And it wasn't right. And there was still this danger as the nation of Israel raised up that the Gibeonites eventually would raise up, remember what Saul had done, and attack them later. And so God, in his wisdom, decided to make it right. This is important context for you to understand. David has a mission. The world's all about David's mission. God's all about David's mission. The Gibeonites, even, you'll see, are all about what David wants to do, which is make things right. And suddenly into this picture, there enters a mom. This mom's name is Rizpah. And Rizpah was a concubine of Saul, a lesser wife of Saul. Rizpah was who this story is really about. And this is what I want to read to you now because I think it's an unbelievable example of the fierceness of a mother's love and also the honor God has for it when it's done well. 2 Samuel chapter 21 now, there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David sought the face of the Lord, and the Lord said, There is blood guilt on Saul and on his house because he put the Gibeonites to death. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now, the Gibeonites were not of the people of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. Although the people of Israel had sworn to spare them, Saul had sought to strike them down in his zeal for the people of Israel and Judah. And David said to the Gibeonites, so he goes before them, God says that this is where your problem is, your reign lies in bringing healing to this relationship. So David goes to the Gibeonites and says, verse 3, what shall I do for you and how shall I make atonement that you may bless the heritage of the Lord? The Gibeonites said to him, it is not a matter of silver or gold between us and Saul or his house, neither is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. And he said, what do you say that I shall do for you? They said to the king, the man who consumed us and planned to destroy us so that we should have no place in all the territory of Israel. Let seven of his sons be given to us so that we may hang them before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, 
the chosen of the Lord, and the king said, I will give them. Verse 9, and he gave them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the mountain before the Lord, and the seven of them perished together. They were put to death in the first days of harvest at the beginning of barley harvest. Okay? So you have David following God's will. This is all before Jesus. This is all Old Testament. Much of the Old Testament works this way. There is, there's a sacrificial system, and much of the system is balanced out in this way. And families being uh, removed, and new families being anointed. And this is a very typical Old Testament story. David says, what do I do? God says, make it right with them. He goes to them. They say, give us the seven sons of Saul that are left. And he says, okay, I'll give you all seven. There's actually an eighth that we know of, Mephibosheth, but that's not brought up. The seven of the sons that are left. He takes the sons, gives them to them. They hang them before the Lord with a tree, under a tree. And that's where the story should end. If I was David, I would want to know, where's the rain? Wouldn't you think if God said to do this, the day that one of the seven breathed their last, boom, rain should fall over the land. But it didn't. Not for a week. Not for three weeks. Not for a month, not for two months, three months, four months, five months, no rain, six months, no rain. And during the six months, David finally says, something's wrong. Something's weird. What is going on? And so he begins to search through the kingdom to find out why God has not brought the rain. And he finds Rizpah. Verse 10, right after the, the men were hung. Then Rizpah, the daughter of Ea, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of harvest until rain fell upon them from the heavens. And she did not allow the birds of the air to come upon them by day or the beasts of the field by night because two of the sons belonged to this mom. Two of the sons belonged to this mom. And when this mom found out that her sons were going to be executed, she went and gave up her life that she had built, and she went and she stayed with their bodies because of the incredible dishonor it was to them to be buried in such a way and kept the birds of the, the, the air away and the be beasts of the field away, and it was all because of her incredible love for her children. This mom, this mom and her desire to complete what was the story of the children she gave life to? One theologian said this. Her sons, think about this woman's love. Her sons had ceased to be lovely. The objects of her love had become things of horror. Decay had set in, blackened by the sun. The stench of decomposition was there. Her sons had become unlovely, but this did not dim her love. This woman lived her life with the bodies of her dead children because she deemed them worthy of her love and her fierceness literally held back the rain. So David does what God says. God has a plan and momentum and movement and this woman steps in and says, because of, this, because of what God's built in her, because she believes in her love, she believes that it is real and valid, what did she think was going to happen? She goes and waits there with the, the dishonored, the broken, the decayed, the lost, and she makes a home there with them. And God, in response to her incredible fierce love, says, whoa, time out. And he waits with her. Seven months God waits with this woman and the son she's mourning. 
David can't even figure it out. The king has no idea what's going on. Where's the rain? What is happening in this world? Why is everything falling apart? And the whole time God's eyes are upon this woman saying, we're going to give her time to mourn. We're going to give her time. Look at this love. Look at this example of fierceness. Look at this example of this woman that will not leave these children that I gave her. And she sits beneath that tree until David realizes that God is waiting. And then David does something remarkable. David honors her sacrifice, and he gathers all the bones of Saul's family, even the bones of, of Jonathan and Saul, uh, where they were kept and hung over the wall, the sons of the other ones hanging on the tree, the sons of the ones who had been killed in battle. And he comes one day to her, and he takes down the bodies of her sons, and he buries them. And this is how the story ends. Verse 14. And they buried the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan in the land of Benjamin and Zelah, in the tomb of Kish, his father, and they did all that the king commanded. And after that, God responded to the plea for the land. <laughs> after that, God responded to the plea for the land. Not after David did something, not after David had a plan, not after the world's nations needed to be united, but after a mom was done mourning the loss of her children. It's got to be the clearest example of a mom's fierce love in the entire canon of Scripture. It is next to Mary. I don't know of anyone that's ever loved like that. It's an unbelievable example also of how God honors a mother's love when she puts herself fully into the creation of the children that she has. I'm here to tell you right now today, there are moms in this room, the reason you don't have a powerful mother footprint is because you didn't even know your motherly love was that powerful. You believe in the, what this world has told you, that it's weak, that because you got pregnant in an unwanted way or because you got pregnant uh, and, and maybe people said it wasn't right or because this happened or that happened or whatever context you can imagine happened, you somehow think that it diminishes your ability to love like a mother. This is a woman who raised wicked men. I just want to point this out to you. Wicked men. Saul's sons were wicked men. They deserve the death they got. And she loved them anyways, and God honored her love over their wickedness and stopped the rain. You are responsible to love like the mother you are built to love. You are responsible to give. You are responsible to hand over. You are responsible not just to pour into the children you bore, but the children that God has placed in your life that you are supposed to be pouring into. You are responsible to be fierce and powerful and full of the presence of God as he moves things around in this life. You are part of that power. And I'm telling you, I believe still in my soul that your love can stop the rain if you believed it. If you believe it. I was in New Zealand and I was struggling. I lived there a year uh, with my wife, but not with my mom and not with my extended family. And I was sitting a lot of time there. And there was this older lady in the congregation that they said when I first got there, if she'll accept you, we'll all accept you. I remember telling them that, them telling me that. And I thought, well, that's not cool, but okay. And so I met her and she was like four foot 11 and 79 year old Kiwi woman, right? And I thought, well, this isn't going to go well. You know, it's like everything opposite of me. It took me about three months of her just watching me, never saying anything to me, just watching me. And I'll never forget about three months in this, she could tell, I think it was pretty close to Mother's Day, if I'm not mistaken. 
that I was struggling and that I was hurting. And she walked up to me and she made me bend down like this. And she gave me a kiss on the cheek and she said, you're doing all right, son. And then she slapped me right on the butt. <laughs> I'll never forget. I was like, and I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to do all right. I'm going to do it. It's not my mom. It's not even my grandma. It's not even someone I've known my whole life. But it's a woman who recognized her power, who leaned into her power, and so blessed my life. There are people in this church that are waiting for you to lean into your power. And guess what? It's not determined on how well your kids are raised, whether they're righteous, holy, Christian, non-believers. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you love them with the fierceness you've been called to love them with. I believe God designed you that way. I believe this picture also is a beautiful context for how God loves us. When we are decayed and broken and death is looming and God is just there, just making sure that the beasts of the field and the birds of the airs don't pick at our souls, just like the womb idea, he's just there, he's got us, and, he, and he's waiting, and he's waiting for us to be who we're supposed to be. He's waiting for us to embrace what it is that he has built within us, and I want to empower the women in our church, be moms. Even if you don't have a child, be a mom. It's, it is a powerful aspect of you. Be that to someone. Be involved in people's lives because it is moms that show up. It is moms that love no matter. It is moms that can, I believe, part the clouds and bring safety to people that no one else wants. I heard this story about two young men as we wrap up. Two young men that were leaving a notorious skeptic seminar on why God didn't exist and why he didn't matter. And they were walking home, and one young man said to the other young man, he goes, well, boy, he really just took the feet from un out from underneath Christianity, didn't he? And the other young man said, no, I don't think he did. He didn't explain my mother's life. And until he can explain my mother's life, I'll stand by my mother's God. There's a lot of people in this room, you need to decide who your God is. Is it this world? Is it Facebook? Is it a group that says you are this or you are that? Or is it scripture, the Holy Spirit, and the stuff that God has built in you to love fiercely, to love with purpose, and to love no matter the consequence? This love, this love is to be the example of how we are to love each other, how we're to love the church, how we're to love the community. It's this love and the purpose of this love that brings Christ true to form to our lives. And it is that fierce love that changes this world forever. This love, the love that was put in us by a God who has the greatest mother of us all. I want to have the worship team come out. And we're going to sing that song, Fierce, just to kind of give us time to, to really let this soak in and let this idea that God has called us to be a people of fierce love and so will you pray with me, and then we'll stand, we'll sing, and then may this be a blessed Mother's Day for you all. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to gather in your presence, to talk with you, to spend time with you. Thank you, God, that your Holy Spirit can, can speak to the hearts of every person in this room. You know their situations, you know their struggles, you know what it is, Lord, that is keeping them from true and authentic relationship with you. Father, I thank you that you can be an example to us of what an incredible mother's love can be like. May we just rest in the fierceness of your love as we proclaim you, our Lord and our Savior. 
In Jesus' name, amen.